to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. I'm John Tanzan, Washington, working on this program very remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Friday, November 4th, 2022. The U.S. Embassy in Juba is seeking clarifications on a statement made by South Sudan's Minister of Information regarding an American journalist killed in 2017. That is a case of American who was shot in Kaya when the journalist decided to go to join the rebels who decided to attack Kaya because he wanted to take the photo of the rebels overtaking Kaya, capturing Kaya. And because of doing that, he lost lost his life. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The U.S. Embassy in Juba has condemned recent statements made by South Sudan's Information Minister Michael McQuay on the death of an American journalist, Christopher Allen, who was killed while covering fighting between government forces and the former rebels of the Sudan People's Liberation Army in opposition in August 2017. For VOA News, workers Simon Wood reports from Juba. Speaking on Tuesday at an event marking International Day for Ending Impunity for Crimes Against Journalists, Information Minister Michael McQuay admitted the government killed Christopher Allen five years ago and described Allen as a white rebel. He also said the American journalist entered South Sudan illegally. There is a case of an American who was shot in Kaya when the journalist decided to go to join the rebels who decided to attack Kaya because he wanted to take the photo of the rebels overtaking Kaya, capturing Kaya. And because of doing that, he lost lost his life. This man had entered South Sudan illegally in the first place. He is a rebel, and this is why I declared, I said we have killed a white rebel. The United States Embassy in Juba condemned Marquez's statement in the strongest terms. In a statement released today, the U.S. demanded an explanation from the South Sudan government as to whether Marquez's statements represent the position of the South Sudan government or are his own personal beliefs. Minister Marquez's remarks would be irresponsible and reprehensible at any time, but all the more so as they were made on the International Day to End Impunity for Crimes Against Journalists, reads the U.S. Embassy statement. It further states, quote, The U.S. Embassy is seeking clarification as to whether these comments represent the position of the government of South Sudan. The U.S. Embassy once again renews its calls to the government of South Sudan to conduct a credible inquiry into Mr. Allen's death and to share its findings with Mr. Allen's family, end quote. During his remarks on Tuesday, Marquette distanced the government from responsibility of carrying out investigations into the circumstances of Allen's death. Because he was killed on the side of the rebels, so he was a rebel. Now, can we be held answerable or accountable for the death of such a journalist who knew that he entered South Sudan illegally and decided to be with rebels who are fighting the government of South Sudan? This is very funny and we are being asked to investigate. Whom do we investigate now? Or do we investigate the then rebels with whom we have reached an agreement and we are now in the same government? 
shortly after Allen's death, then SPLMAI spokesperson Colonel Lampol Gabriel issued a statement on August 27, 2017, confirming Allen was killed during fighting between government and SPLAIO forces. The SPLAIO also regrets the loss of a freelance journalist, Christopher Allen, a USA citizen who was targeted and killed by government forces for photographing the fight, said Colonel Gabriel's statement. It went on to say that the journalist was committed to reporting the truth and, quote, wanted to show the world the truth about the fighting in South Sudan and its effect on the displaced, end quote. Colonel Gabriel said the SPLIO managed to retrieve his cameras and a notebook. He said Allen and two other journalists were embedded with the rebels during a two-week mission along the South Sudan-Uganda border and they had arrived from Kampala. On August 29, 2017, Allen's remains were released and handed over to officials of the U.S. Embassy in Juba by South Sudan Army officials. Dr. Peter Ajakabulin, director of the Army Military Corps, at the time said that a postmortem he conducted confirmed that Allen died from a large gunshot wound to the head. Rights groups had condemned Allen's killing and said it violates international humanitarian law and should be investigated. For VON News, I'm working Simon Wudu in Juba. Some religious leaders in South Sudan are adding their voices to the Save the Sad campaign. The Archbishop of the Northern Bahar al-Ghazal Internal Province of the Episcopal Church of South Sudan and the Bishop of Wau Diocese says the Sad is an important source of livelihood for the majority of South Sudanese. For VOA News, Dengai Deng reports from Juba. Government spokesperson and information minister Michael McQuay told reporters in Juba two weeks ago that the Council of Ministers passed a resolution allowing the clearing and cleaning of tributaries of the River Nile. In July, environmentalists and many other South Sudanese opposed a decision by the Water Ministry to dredge tributaries of the Nile in the Sud region, including in Unity State. President Salfakir then ordered public consultations on the environmental impact of the project. McQuay said the government's decision to approve the cleaning and clearing of the Nile tributaries is based on the findings of several public consultations. But Moses Dengbol, Archbishop of Northern Bahar al-Ghazal, internal province of the Episcopal Church of South Sudan, and Bishop of the Wau Diocese says more than 90% of South Sudanese live in rural areas and depend on farming, cattle rearing, and fishing to survive. Bull says if the soot wetlands dry up and the rains stop, people will be left with no option but to either leave their country or die from hunger. The people of South Sudan, most of them are... They live on agriculture... Some are pastoralists and others are, fish, are fishermen or people who live by, by fishing. So if you take 99% of South Sudanese, they, their livelihood is based on it will interfere all the, 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 the trees. Bishop Ball says God tasked mankind to take care of the environment. 
Bull says he heard hundreds of bishops from the Anglican Church during the Lambeth Conference last month to discuss the climate ecological crisis, including the suit. Ball says he mobilized protesters who carried a blue banner reading, Save the Suit Wetland, and urged church leaders to use their positions to push for greater action on climate change. The environment is one thing that Christians all over the world and all, all human beings should be very concerned about. So that environment is not destroyed, because that is where our livelihood depends on. Especially peace depends on environment because without environment you cannot have the resources we need and that way there will be conflict, there will be a lot of uh, problems that we, want, we don't want to have. In June, South Sudanese officials said Egypt had donated dredging equipment, including an excavator for dredging the Nam River, a Nile tributary that fits into the wetlands. Many South Sudanese raised concerns about the government's plans to dredge the rivers or resume the Jonglei Canal project, saying it will endanger the country's ecosystem. In July, during his 11th independence anniversary speech, South Sudan President Salva Kiir ordered the suspension of all dredging-related activities in the country until evidence-based studies were carried out on the environmental impact of dredging Nile tributaries on surrounding communities. Last month, the South Sudan Council of Ministers passed a resolution allowing the clearing and cleaning of tributaries of the Nile. Bishop Ball says South Sudanese should carefully monitor the government's activities, saying what matters is the action, not the language about the project. The people of South Sudan should be very, very concerned about whatever term you use. It is not, it's not about the, the, the terms, it is about the action. What action is being done? For years, the government of Egypt has wanted to dredge the Nile tributaries which make up the wetlands and build the Jonglei Canal. The project would mean that water would pass by the suit and increase the Nile's flow to Egypt and Sudan. The South Sudan government said that the project would help reduce flooding in the country, but environmentalist experts warned that it would have an overwhelming negative impact on South Sudan's ecosystem and economy. For VOA News, I am Dengai Deng in Juba. listening to South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, security forces close down a club in Sudan. Find out more after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today. What steps should the government take to ensure children are enrolled and stay in school? I think governments should get more facilities in the schools, like library, and also to get them a playing ground. Because as the child learns, they have to play to release stress. There has to be a conducive learning atmosphere, which of course we lack in most of our government schools. Government should provide free education for the people in the village, as well as in town also. 
government should provide free meals for kids when they go to school. They should also provide good learning environment. They should also provide qualified teachers who would also take care of the children and keep them engaged so they'll be interested in schooling. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. In Sudan, tensions are high between members of the steering committee of the Bar Association and the former union following a court decision to restore all trade unions, professional federations and workers' union, which had been banned in 2020. Security forces have surrounded the Advocates Club in the capital Khartoum following sharp disagreements between the two groups on ownership of the headquarters. For VOA News, Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. Late last week, a Sudanese court ruled that all trade and workers' unions and professional federations be restored to what they were before former President Omar al-Bashir was ousted from power. The controversial decision caused an uproar among many Sudanese. The steering committee of the Bar Association, which is associated with the pro-democracy coalition Forces for Freedom and Change, or FFC, rejected the ruling, saying it would allow Bashir supporters to return to the Sudan's political scene. Following the decision, a group of lawyers affiliated with the dissolved union stormed the Advocate Club, chanting slogans demanding the membership of the steering committee to vacate the club. Members of the Bar Association held a news conference on Wednesday, which was followed immediately by dozens of people, most of whom were not lawyers, that gathered outside the Advocates Club in Khartoum. Some in the crowd were carrying sticks and stones and launched a violent attack on people who were gathered inside the club. Police used tear gas to disperse the crowd. During the news conference, Zainal Abidin Ahmad, a senior executive member of the Restored Sudanese Bar Association, hailed the court's decision and described it as a win of justice over betrayal. Ahmad says the steering committee has been misusing the club for what he calls illegal activities. This place became a house for political parties and for Mr. Voka, the enemy of Sudan and its people. The house has become dirty. Even what so-called constitutional proposal, which they claim have been drafted here and been adopted, have been prepared for them from outside the country. Volker Perds, who heads the United Nations Integrated Transition Assistance Mission in Sudan, known as UNITAMS, has been leading consultations among different Sudanese political parties with the help of the African Union in hope of reaching a settlement. In a statement published on its official Facebook Wednesday, Volker condemned the attack against the office of the Sudanese Bar Association, saying it is a clear signal aimed at drilling efforts to reach a consensus among political forces and the military to reach a genuine democratic transition in Sudan. Volker said, quote, I strongly condemn the attack and any act of violence to settle political or legal disputes, end quote. Adding, UNITAMS will continue to facilitate all Sudanese-led initiatives that support a peaceful transition. He's speaking to this program in Khartoum, Kamal Muhammad, a member of the steering committee, describes the court's decision as politically motivated. 
I think these are political decisions in the first place, even though it has taken a legal aspect. They tried to interrupt the work on the proposed constitutional document that has been proposed by the steering committee of the Bar Association. This proposal has won the confidence and acceptance of wider Sudanese society and the international community. The steering committee of the Sudanese Bar Association, most of whom are supporters of the FFC presented a draft constitutional proposal to the mediation team to be brought up for consultations with different Sudanese political groups. Sudanese writer and a former Sudanese diplomat in the United States, Meki al-Maghribi, says he sees nothing wrong with the proposed constitutional document. It was good draft uh, and it was open and even the U.S. ambassador himself said that uh, it should be open for more people and also it should be open for modifications and corrections. So nothing wrong with the draft. The draft constitution also defines the role of the military and other security forces, which is to defend the constitution, keep law and order, and defend the territory of Sudan. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. From the Sudanese capital, we move to Egypt as nations prepare to attend a major climate change conference in Sharma Sheikh next week. The World Health Organization says climate-related health emergencies are surging and threatening the lives of millions of people in the Horn of Africa. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. The United Nations reports up to 222 million people globally are facing acute hunger. 47 million of them in the greater Horn of Africa. Most parts of the region are battling the worst drought in 40 years. After four consecutive years of drought and a fifth season of failed rains looming, health experts fear great loss of life. A new WHO analysis of seven countries in the region finds disease outbreaks and climate-related emergencies have reached their highest ever level this century. Analysts have recorded a total of 39 health emergencies this year in Djibouti, Ethiopia, Kenya, Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan, and Uganda. Egmont Evers is WHO's Incident Manager for Greater Horn of Africa Food Insecurity and Health. He says the food insecurity crisis in the region also is a health crisis. He says these twin disasters are interrelated. Malnourished people become sick more easily and sick people become malnourished more easily. The outcomes when disease and malnutrition are combined are worse. We know this about the combination of cholera and malnutrition, measles and malnutrition, common childhood diseases and malnutrition. There is more severe disease and more death. We know globally already that 45% of all child deaths are linked to malnutrition. Ever says lack of food also leads to increased displacement. People who suffer from food insecurity, he says, leave their homes in search of something to eat. He notes this makes the region's more than 18 million refugees and internally displaced people particularly vulnerable to illness and death. Displacement means interruption of life-saving health care, such as immunization, maternal and child care, but also increased risks, such as poor water and sanitation, overcrowding, malnutrition, risky coping behaviors, and loss of livelihoods. We're seeing that these public health events are becoming more common, 
And the combination with increasing food insecurity and malnutrition means that they will also be more deadly. Drought is not the only extreme weather event in the region. Sudan and South Sudan have been hit with widespread torrential rains in recent weeks. The World Health Organization says South Sudan is experiencing its fourth consecutive year of flooding and estimates that 40% of the country is underwater. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. We'd love to hear your remarks on issues in this broadcast. Several listeners wrote and recorded their voice this week about our coverage of the burning of a church in South Sudan's Warab State. We begin with this listener. Hello, new news today. I am Maboral Nremu in Rumbek Legacy. It has come to my surprise that one of the national MPs, known as Salpamato, put up the wrong position on seven days and went church without a clear evidence. The accusation led to the conversion of the church into ashes. This is a barbaric act and is condemned by all the Christians in the country. It indicates that there is no freedom of worship. May God touch his heart to avoid such habits. Thank you. Madrama Lino from Juba writes, Hello, VOA. What a big shame to hear a lawmaker burnt down a church during this modern era and called it a prostitution center. The remaining question is, how safe are the citizens in their grass-hatched houses? Duke Majok Kroy in Rumbek Road. Hello, VOA. A former minister of interior and national MP should be brought to justice to explain why he burned down the Seven Days Adventist Church in Gobriel East. The burning of the church has brought great fear to many Christians living in the area. Sabri Isaac Hamis from Yambio, Western Equatorial State, writes, Hello, VOA South Sudan in focus. It is unfortunate that a lawmaker has taken the law into his own hands to burn down a pulpit of God in Warap State. Honorable Salva Matok has acted beyond his jurisdiction. He has devaluated the freedom of worship which is enshrined in the constitution of South Sudan. Mathok must ask God to forgive, otherwise he won't walk freely. A call a jet, Michael Injuba says, I'm deeply disturbed about the direction my country is taking with regard to our liberators in the front seat, basically driving us. Where on earth is a house of God set ablaze at the orders of a lawmaker? If they can't fear God, who else will they fear? James Ray Magog from Bantu Town in Unity State writes, Hello Nabil and John Tanza. I really welcome the agreement that was signed by the Twitch community and the Mok Dinka in Wow Town. The agreement will allow humanitarian corridor for those who are in need of humanitarian assistance in Twitch and Mok. And still on peace agreements, here is a listener reacting to the Ethiopian peace agreement signed on Wednesday in South Africa. This is Peter State South Sudan. Here in TP11, Ethiopian government signed the peace agreement. It's a welcoming news not only to Ethiopian, but to the entire continent of Africa. This peace deal will reduce days and months of suffering and displacement in Ethiopia. Guya Moses John in Central Equatorial State says, High VOA News. Bravo to the governor of Central Equatorial State, Emmanuel Adil, for donating new vehicles and bicycles to ministries. Henry Taban, still in Yeh, writes, The UNSCR is doing nothing in Yeh. They register all Darfuri business community in Yeh as refugees and pay for their children to go to school while people in need are suffering. The Darfur business community came only for business. 
and not as refugees. And lastly, a listener who appreciates the work of journalists had this to say. I'm Gatkos Manung Shwankujia from Juba. Hello, John Tanza and Nibil Biaja. The International Day to End Impunity for a Crime Against Journalists is a day they need to become related yearly because journalists are always detained, killed by security personnel in South Sudan without accountability from perpetrator. I urge the government of South Sudan to ensure safety of journalists while doing their work is important because journalism is not a crime. It has never been a crime and it will not be a crime. Understand? Opinions expressed here do not reflect the views of VOA or this program. We appreciate hearing from you and keep those comments coming. Our WhatsApp number is plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Keep your voice and text messages brief and we shall sample some of them every Friday. And that's all we prepared for you this Friday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with Emmanuel Jal and the song We Want Peace. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I'm looking for some people who's looking for peace. Maybe together we could make the war cease. Now we can send mankind to the moon. And we can reach to the bottom of the sea. That's why it's really kind of baffles me. That we cannot end wars and bring peace. And we cannot change the way people act. The way people think. So if we sit back, chill out, and relax, civilization will soon be extinct. That's why I am. I'm calling on the whole wide world. Come on, people, would you help me? Let's scream and shout, cause we want peace. To say the least, I dedicate this song.
listening to Emmanuel Jal and the song We Want Peace. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us next week for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.